Welcome to the Cowbell Fever podcast. On the show today, we chat with 2022 Olympian Julia Kern, who recently raced her first World Loopert race, the Kangaroo Hoppet, while training in Australia. She joined to talk about beating me in local races as a middle schooler, training as a student at Dartmouth, and her trip down under recently. Julia Kern, thank you for coming on the Cowbell Fever podcast, and we wanted to talk about the trip that you just had down to Australia for ski training and skiing the World Open race there. Yeah, I'm psyched to be here. Thanks for having me on. Before we get to that, why don't we talk a bit about your background? You're actually a bit of a neighbor of mine uh, in the past. You grew up in on the East Coast in Waltham, Massachusetts. Yeah, I did. I grew up in Waltham, Mass my whole life and skied for formerly known as CSU, now EMXC at the junior club there. You grew up skiing around a slushy golf course uh, and then sort of graduated into the big leagues. Yeah, exactly. I grew up skiing on the Weston Ski Track, which is a golf course in the summer. Um, there's not many hills, but there's snow making and lights at night. So it was either slushy or man-made sugar or ice. And so I got a variety of good East Coast skiing um, in when I was growing up. And I think every so often you'd show up to one of our Tuesday night races and just throw down on all the masters. Yeah, the Tuesday night races were actually what got me really excited about ski racing. In middle school, we didn't have many Eastern races when I was younger. And so there were fun ways to jump in and uh, mix it up and learn how to ski in a pack. And I think that's where my more city sprint or mass start sprinting and skiing comes from. So those Tuesday night races really got me into ski racing and are one of my favorite things I used to do. Did you ever break a pole or or did you somehow escape the casualties? Oh no, I, uh, I actually injured my shoulder one time. Uh, someone stepped on my pole, my shoulder ripped back and I did it again a month later. So I ended up paying the price on that injury uh, two years down the line. But it was, it was, yeah, there was some chaos, but it was good. <laughs> well, as someone who mostly uses Tuesday night races now to train for the Berkey, um, I guess I can look at all the high places that one can go. So after you graduated high school, you went, you, you went, did you go to the national team or did you go to Dartmouth or did you sort of do, do sort of do the mixture? So when I graduated or the spring of my senior year of high school was when I was named to the U.S. ski team for the first time. So a month or two before graduating is when I was named to the ski team. And um, at the same time, I was trying to decide what to do. Should I go to college, professional ski, do both? And I ended up deciding to do like a partial gap year at Stratton Mountain School and enroll in Dartmouth starting that spring. So I took the fall and winter term off, but then started my college time that following spring. And so you were sort of able to go through college part-time while skiing full-time for the next few years. Yeah, exactly. And I actually ended up being a full-time student in most of my years at Dartmouth. I started off not knowing exactly how much school I wanted to do or how fast, but I knew I wanted to get a quality education. And so I started with one term and took it term by term. And I ended up having three years in a row where I did spring, summer, fall. So just the reverse of a normal year. Uh, So it was a normal course load, full course load, three terms a year, three quarters a year, which was normal at Dartmouth. So I ended up doing it in about five years, which is 
pretty good. <laughs> While taking off the winters to ski professionally in Europe. Yeah, exactly. So the terms worked out super well. Um, I would usually do the last week of racing and head to Dartmouth. And then when the fall semester was ending, I would head over to Europe and spend the winter in Europe. So it really bookended my season and fit in really well with my training and racing plan. You weren't able to race with the Dartmouth team because you weren't there. What was your training like in, in the off season? Yeah, so I never raced for Dartmouth, but I, I kept my eligibility because I wanted it to be an option. And I was super fortunate to have the Stratton, the SMST2 team support me in being at school. Um, and then when I was at Dartmouth, I was fully committed to training with the team and following the team plan. So although I didn't race for Dartmouth, I felt as if I was part of the team and was part of the roster. And so when I was at school, I was training with the team and then I would sometimes travel for US ski team camps or in between terms, join my Stratton teammates for a week of two of training. So I, I really had a great setup where I'd support in all directions. And I feel really fortunate for that. Yeah, it's kind of cool that you're able to go through that process because I know a lot of times people are asked to choose between one and the other. And in a sport like skiing where you're not guaranteed huge successes, you, you kind of want to have, have that backup of having a, having a good education. You went, went to the Olympics last year for the first time? Yeah, it was my first Olympics in Beijing. And it sounds like it was not the most normal of experiences as far as the Olympics go. It definitely wasn't the most normal, but from what I've been told, every Olympics is its own unique experience and the Olympics are never normal. And so we didn't really know what to expect. We knew it was going to be uh, pretty strict with COVID. And so it was a once in a lifetime experience. I don't think anything will ever be like that again. <laughs> yeah. And the snow also sort of a once in a lifetime experience. Yes and no. I would say I've never skied on such dry windswept snow it was very slow and windblown and they actually ended up getting snow which was not predicted and I so I think we've skied in really cold slow climates but the wind added an extra drying factor where some people described it as skiing on styrofoam that's what it felt like a bit yeah I mean it did look kind of like a cold windy sunny day in the midwest but um, a little drier and a little more man-made. Exactly. <laughs> you went down to ski in Australia a few weeks ago. Is that the first time that you've traveled to Australia or New Zealand for a camp? So I've done New Zealand camp for three years in a row. And then since COVID, haven't returned down under, as they call it. Um, so this was my first time ever traveling to Australia, which was a really cool experience to see what that is like since we've done New Zealand a few times now. And what was the choice to go to Australia versus New Zealand? Was it COVID-related or just a change of pace? I would say it was semi-COVID-related. The, the lodge at the snow farm um, right on the Nordic tracks was closed since they closed during COVID and they haven't really opened up again. So the grooming was there, but the lodge that's right on the ski trail wasn't operating for housing or food. And so that made the New Zealand option uh, less feasible because it would have been a lot of driving every day. And so we wanted to see what other options there were out there. And we've heard a lot about Australia. And so that provided a little bit less driving and uh, closer access to the trail. So we gave that a shot and said this year. And I was just actually uh, showing you a poster. I skied the kangaroo hop at... Um what is this, you know, 18 years ago uh, when I was studying abroad and um, skied with a fever. It was about 40 degrees out, so I had a fun day, but I finished. And so I was just interested as someone who's done that. And that I actually did that before I did the Berkey. That's the first stamp I have in my World Open passport. The, the culture in Australia, you know, snow farm is pretty much the only place to cross-country ski in New Zealand. Is that is that right? Yeah, New Zealand, that's correct. And there's not a lot of people who, who live around there. No, it's pretty small. Wanaka, the town that's closest to it, is still pretty small. Queenstown is a little bit bigger, but 
from what I gather, it's a pretty small Nordic community there. Yeah, and Australia is a bit bigger. Yeah, from from what I could tell, I mean, it's hard to exactly know because we only spend time there in the camp environment. But from my understanding, Australia also has maybe three places you can Nordic ski. And so it's a little bit more spread out. But I would say both communities are pretty small. And you skied the Merino Muster when you were in New Zealand? I have skied the Merino Muster. I don't think I've skied the full 42k loop though. I think I've done the the half or whatever they call the mini muster at the training camp. I'm trying to remember maybe the last time I was there I did the full thing, but I, I believe I haven't done the full length, but I've skied essentially a lap of the course. And so you decided to line up for the full kangaroo hop it this year. And how many of your teammates were down there? So down at training camp, it was just Jesse Diggins and I and um, her coach, Jason Cork. So we were a very small group, but there were a few other Americans down there. The Sun Valley pro team um, was also there while we were there. And what is that race like? Describe the, the course and just how the event goes for folks who haven't been there, which I assume is most of the people listening. We were super excited that the race overlapped with our training camp. Um, we decided it was a really good opportunity to put a bib on and get used to racing again. And most importantly, we were excited to practice fueling strategies. Now that we have equal distance coming up this year, we haven't had the chance to scheme things distances longer than 30K very often. And so Jesse and I both wanted to practice feeding feeding strategies and the community seemed really excited about the event. So we were excited to see there were over a thousand participants, I believe, that day, which was really cool to see so many people there. And we were lucky enough to get a perfectly sunny blue sky day that free, froze overnight. So it was really fast tracks and just an absolutely fun atmosphere with young kids skiing the sh- shorter loops and then up to the people who follow the whole World Loppet and getting to experience that World Loppet circuit was really special. Yeah, and the race goes around a reservoir pretty much all above treeline, so you certainly got a nice sunny day in, I bet. Yes, we did. Uh, definitely all above treeline. Um, wind is definitely a factor in that race when you're skiing alone, but uh, we got to see all the way across the, the mountain range, which was beautiful. Now, you and Jesse finished one and two in that race. And uh, she was pretty close to the men's lead. Yeah, exactly. So we we started off pretty fast and we're like, okay, we're just going to milk this draft from the, the men's pack as long as possible. So we were at the lead pack until about 8K when there's this one really long 10 to 12 minute gradual climb. And I knew that's where things would separate. And um, Jesse was able to hang on to that pack. And unfortunately, I wasn't. So the rest of the race, Jesse skied with that pack since there's a lot of wind and drafting and toxic tactics involved. And I uh, kept charging on alone by myself. I was stuck in between the packs. But yeah, Jesse skied with the men and tried to out sprint a few at the end even, which was really awesome. And you were in no man's or no woman's land the rest of the way? Yes, exactly. I was all by myself. But it was it was also a good practice to learn how to push by myself for such a long race. <laughs> but it was definitely really fun to mix it up with the men in the first part of the race and do some drafting and tactics and react to some of the surges they were putting in. And when you think about the longer races, so you've obviously done training skis that have been longer than 50k, but you've never been in that race environment where you're going out and pushing for, you know, about two hours. What do you do? You look forward to that? What do you think about the equal distance going forward? Uh, I'm not sure really how I feel about it. Um, last year, I have only done a handful of 30ks and. Oddly enough, for being more of a sprinter, I've had really great 30K experiences so far. And so 
I was like, hmm, maybe this is actually a dis- distance that could be great for me. And who knows what a longer race, like a 42K, would be. This past season at Spring Series in Whistler, we actually did, I think, like a 43 or 45K. So that was the longest race I'd ever done. And it went really well as well. So I was I was excited to get another long race in. I think it's a completely different type of pacing strategy. And I've come to like the longer distance races, especially when you do have a pack to ski with. So it was really fun. And I think it's a different mental challenge. Like when I was by myself, I was like, okay, I need to push hard enough, but this is also a two hour race. So I need to, or one and a half about like, I need to figure out how to push myself, but have a steady output throughout the race. So I think it was really good practice for the coming longer equal distance races to come. And I'm not sure I'll be able to start the 50k on the World Cup this year, but um, hopefully in the future there'll be other chances. Yeah, and, and also for the rest of the team who are more of the distance racers to get that experience since women have been doing this shorter distance for so much time. And I think there's a big difference between a 30k and a 50k. 30k might not be quite enough time to sort of hit that second wall, and 50k certainly is. Yeah, for sure. So I think it'll be it'll be interesting. This was a good step in the right direction. Um, it ended up being 39K because they had to cut off a part. So uh, a 10K step further to the 50K mark. Did you have any other highlights of the trip down, down under? Yeah, I mean, I think in general, it was really fascinating to see like the Australian culture. Everyone was so welcoming and helpful and just nice to a default. So that was really cool. Um, And we got to experience a lot of new animals like kangaroos and wallabies (laughs) and koalas. So it was really and like beautiful, loud quacking birds that are very different than to what we're used to. So I think getting to see a new trail system, meet new people, make connections and see a different part of the world was a really great experience. And the skiing was just incredible. We had such a good training camp, probably one of the more productive training camps I've ever had. Yeah. So and you were just down in a little town off the side of the road. Yeah, halfway up the mountain from Mount Beauty, we were in Bogong um, in these cabins, and that has a really small population. Essentially, it's just an outdoor school of students coming through, and so um, it was very nice and quiet there, and um, right by like a dam and a lake. Lots of time to sleep and get some R and R between training sessions. Exactly, and cook and bake up a storm with Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> so, what are your plans going forward for the rest of this year and into the winter? Yeah, so it's been an exciting, busy year. We just got back from Australia. Um, I have two weeks here at home, and then I'm headed out to Park City for our fall training camp. And I'm headed out a little bit early, do some biking in Moab, and then we come back for three weeks, back to the east. And then it's already off to the World Cup to follow the World Cup circuit from mid-November till end of March. And that's 2023, and there's some rumors that 2024 might include a stop on the World Cup tour at the Berkey, so we'll see if that happens. Yes, I've heard those rumors, and I sure hope they come true, because it's been a dream of mine to compete in the Berkey and experience that culture. The one time I was going to go, I think there was like lack of snow, and it didn't happen, or I left early, and so um, I'm really looking forward to seeing and experiencing the Berkey, and hopefully that is sooner rather than later. Yeah, probably 2017 when everything got canceled and there was like a couple kilometers of ice. Yep, I think that was that was the year. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't that wasn't the best of years. 
And then the other thing that I want to ask you about is that you uh, you work with Pastimes, which is an app which people can use to meet up with people who might be interested in similar outdoors um, activities, such as uh, skiing. Uh, tell me more about that. Yeah, it's been really exciting to work with Pastimes. Um, I first started out with their ambassador program, and now I'm helping with their UI UX design, so app design and experiences. And we just actually launched a premium version, so... Anyone who's part of the premium version gets discounts on all their favorite gear and apps. And so we've partnered with a ton of brands and it's been really fun just to work with a team to help connect people to get outside and do stuff together. That's at the heart why I love the cross-country skiing community. People want to go outside and be active and do that together. And so this app is just parallels really well with what I'm passionate about and ultimately what draws me to the ski community and to the outdoor community. And so... If you haven't checked it out, highly recommend it. It's super fun. I've made a lot of new biking and running buddies off the app. And um, it's also kept me busy and my mind engaged on the side with skiing, which has been really important for me and one of the reasons why I went to Dartmouth for college. Yeah, and I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to checking back in on it to find some folks who might want to go do a crazy day of skiing this winter on a weekend. Hopefully we have snow soon. Yeah, hopefully. Now that it's close to winter, the snow goes start falling. Now that you're back from Australia and it's and it snowed there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> to keep it rolling. Thank you so much for coming on and best of luck to you uh, in this upcoming race season. And maybe we'll see you at Wisconsin in a couple of years. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks again for joining Julia. And I should mention that Julia is a great follow on Instagram. Her Instagram handle is at Julia Kernski, J-U-L-I-A-K-E-R-N-S-K-I. And you can find more about Pastimes at pastimes.io. That's P-A-S-T-I-M-E-S dot I-O. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon with more Cowbell Fever.